that hope and that promise and that assurance gives us an enduring living hope. This year, we are focusing on hope. We're discovering what hope is. It is the year of hope at Living Hope. And one of the things we're doing in social media is we're doing hashtag hope is. And I encourage you to continue to participate in that. Make folks aware of how God is giving you hope in your real life and, and where, where it's all sort of coming together for you. We're in a series right now. And we're talking about the fact that, that hope is confident. We're talking about how this hope is confident in different aspects of what, what God is and, and what God has done. And today we're going to talk about the fact that hope is confident in God's will. Now, as a part of discovering what hope is, we're walking verse by verse through 1 John. And so this morning we find ourselves in chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 4 through 6. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and take it out and turn with me now to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 4 through 6, and Miss Abby Hodnett is going to uh, be reading our text for us today. So, Abby, if you would, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And if you would, go ahead and read for us verse 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. The Word of God. Thank you, Abby. Thank you so much, sweet girl. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. We're going to talk about the will of God. And a couple of things I hope to avoid this morning as, as, I, as I talk about this is um, I, I, I don't want to communicate it so broadly that we miss it. Because if you, if you try to look at God's will too broadly and not personally, you won't get it. At the same time, if you look at it too narrowly, you'll miss it. You'll, you'll, you'll not see, you know, what, what it really is. The, the way we look at God's will is crucial. I came back from sabbatical just a few weeks ago, and the uh, Sunday morning when, uh, when I got back, I had a coffee cup with me, and I, I left it in my office, and uh, one of the staff and some of the elders had gone into my office to anoint someone with oil to pray for their healing, and uh, after the person left, um, they became concerned because they found the coffee cup that I'd been drinking out of, and I don't know if you can see it, but the coffee cup that I had said, thank God for girlfriends. Having been gone for several weeks, there began to be some questions about what I had been doing on my sabbatical. Uh, you come in with a coffee cup like this, you're opening yourself up for questions. And so you'll know, I had another really girly cup that my dog Charlie broke, which is another story altogether. And so my daughter's small group leader had given her this cup. It was the only one available to me that morning in, in mobile you know, transport, so there's no need for a special elders meeting or a church business meeting as it pertains to me. Now, when you think about this cup, there's a story behind it. There's, there's more to it than just meets the eye. There's, it's very important that you look at this cup in my hand from the right perspective. And so it is from, the, from understanding the will of God. We have to look at it from the right perspective. We have to be able to, to see all the, the aspects that are going. Now, look, you're never, we're never going to understand God's will at, at 100% capacity. 
We're never going to be able to say, okay, I, I know all of God's will right now. That's not going to happen until we get to heaven and we have the eternal perspective of holiness and we're able to see God for who He is and see all of life for what it is through a holy lens. Until that time, we are going to have to live by faith. We're going to have to live by faith. Now, in that faith, there is a great deal of certainty. There is a great deal of God's will that we can and need to know. St. Augustine spoke clearly on the issue of God's will in a simple and yet profound statement. You want to know how to live out the will of God? Do you want to know the will of God? Here it is. It simply said, love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. I have used this in counseling sessions just this week in a number of situations, some with couples, some with individuals. Some couples came to me and said, hey, look, we've got a job offer. We're going to have to sell and move. Is this God's will? Some were saying, okay, we have an opportunity. Is this something we should pursue? Is this God's will? Young people were saying, okay, I've got a decision in front of me. How do I know God's will? How do I know the right decision to make? And here's the answer. Love God and do as you please. Now, there can be a lot of confusion about do as you please. Here's what you've got to understand. When you love God, obeying Him will be what pleases you. When you don't love God, disobeying Him is what will please you. So love of God will change what pleases you. So St. Augustine is, is accurate and biblical when he says, love God and do as you please. Listen, I love you. I love our church. I love my wife and my children. I love my friends. And because I love them, that impacts the way I spend money, the way I spend time, and the way I spend my energy. There are a lot of different ways I would spend money if I didn't love my family and love my church and love my friends. There, there wouldn't be a tithe if I didn't love my God. There wouldn't be life insurance and tuition paid. There wouldn't be a lot of things that go into how I spend money financially if I did not deeply love my God, my family, my church, my friends. The way I spent my time would be completely different. I would not invest time the way I do. I, I, would, I would pursue other things if I didn't love God and my family and my friends and my church. And the way I expend energy, the way I, I, I empathize and pray and weep with and laugh with my family and this church and my friends, it, it wouldn't happen. It would be completely different. My life would be completely different the way I invested it if it were not for my love. And so it is for all who claim Christ. When we love God, we can do what we please. And what we will find is what we do pleases God. When we love God, we live differently. When we love God, we, we seek to live according to His will. Write this down and remember it. God's will for all of His children is that we cease to live in sin. Sin destroys Don't mess with it. Don't play with it. Don't pretend that it's not dangerous. 
Let me tell you something about sin. You've heard me say this for years if you've been around here. If you've not memorized this, memorize this. Sin always takes you further than you intended to go. Costs you more than you wanted to pay. And gives you less than it promised it would. That's what sin does every time. It always takes you further than you intended to go. I cannot tell you how many people have been unfaithful to your, their spouse and said, Pastor, I never intended it to go this far. I cannot tell you how many people have hurt other people with their words, with their, with their actions, and said, I never intended it to go this far. That's what sin does. It takes it further than you intended to go. And you know what? It costs you more than you intended to pay. It, it costs you so much more than you wanted to pay. Here's what you need to understand about your sin. If you have people who love you, your sin is going to cost them. If, if people love you, your sin will always cost them. It's more than you wanted to pay. It's going to, it's going to require them to pay. And, and then it never gives what it promised. It says that it will satisfy that lie. Oh, it'll satisfy if I don't get caught. Oh, if I, if I don't, you know, if, if, if I can get away with this, if I can do these things, it'll satisfy, I can have these things. It's a lie. Nothing can satisfy you apart from the love of God. Without the love of God, you will never be satisfied. Sin is a lie. It's deceitful. It is destructive. And so God wants us to be done with it. Be away from it. Write it down. The less sin we have in in our life, the more confident we are that we are in the will of God, which gives us hope. God's plan is to rescue us from sin. The, the, The will of God is that we sin less. And that happens only through the Gospel. We know the three circles. And we understand them as they pertain to salvation. But do we understand how the Gospel works? Do we understand how the Gospel works in light of uh, sanctification? Because here's the deal. If you don't know the Gospel, let me explain how this works. We were made to be in harmony with God, but we have sinned, and that has created brokenness. If we will repent and believe the Gospel, we can pursue and recover God's design. But, but here's what you've got to remember. We never stop this process. As long as we are alive, we will be battling sin. And this is how we battle sin. Is that the more we pursue God, recover and pursue God's design, the more we will be made aware of sin as we study His Word and we live in His presence. And we will be aware of brokenness that, that exists in our relationship with God, within and with others, which will lead us to repent and believe the Gospel, that the resurrected Christ has a plan for our pain, has a plan for all that has happened and it is happening, so that we will repent and then recover and pursue God's design. And the closer you get to God, the more you become aware of sin, the more you see the brokenness, the more you repent and believe and trust in the Gospel. And that Gospel power allows you to recover and pursue God's design. And it's a constant way of life. We are always seeking to understand who God is and the more we get close to Him, the more we will see sin and the more we will have to repent and the more we will grow in His likeness. Let's look at three things in in the text today that will enable us and help us to battle against sin so that we can fulfill the will of God and be confident in it. Understand, we have confident hope in God's will when number one, we know what sin is. Do you know what sin is? Look in verse 4, 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Understand this. Jesus is not an antinomian. Do you know that word, antinomian? 
anti-against nomos law. The word antinomianism comes from two Greek words, anti meaning against and nomos meaning law. Antinomian means against the law. Theologically, antinomianism is the belief that there are no moral laws God expects Christians to obey. Antinomians take the biblical teaching to an unbiblical conclusion. The biblical teaching is that Christians are not required to observe the Old Testament law as a means of salvation. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He fulfilled the Old Testament law. These scriptures speak to that. The unbiblical, unbiblical conclusion is that there is no moral law God expects Christians to obey. God expects us to obey His law. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ liberates us to obey God's law. Those who would say, oh, I'm saved, I can live any way I want to, you do not understand. They do not understand the Word and the will of God. God's will is that we overcome sin, that we obey the law. Let's think about what Jesus Himself said. Look what He said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until the heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God expects that we live in obedience to His law. And there is a great misunderstanding today about the laws that the Christians are commanded to obey. It seems that there is a misunderstanding. And and I say that because, friends, let's, let's be real honest, okay? Obedience to God is not complicated. I make it complicated. It has been my experience that when I want to disobey God, when I want to disobey God, I will create a confusion that does not exist so that I can create a loophole that is not real in order to provide justification for whatever words I want to say and actions I want to do that are sinful. Let me say that again. Let me see see if this resonates with you. Let me see if maybe this is a game that you play as well. It has been my experience that when I want to disobey God, I will create confusion that does not exist so that I can create a loophole that is not real in order to provide justification for whatever words I want to say or actions I want to do that are sinful. A lot of us do that. And there are a lot of folks who are making erroneous, deeply erroneous errors and even making a joke of the law of God. There have been many in the homosexual community in the last couple of years who've made mockery of the law of God, saying that that the law of God is obsolete, that their their practice is no more sinful than than eating meat or, or wearing a certain type of clothing. 
And what they want to say is if you look at the Old Testament law, there are these laws that we no longer say are, are, that we are bound by. And so this lifestyle that I want to choose to live in then is, is lumped into that category so that I can do whatever I want. And it comes from a misunderstanding of the law of God. It's a, it's, it comes from a misunderstanding of understanding this distinctiveness. We have to understand that there are three uses of the law. And I'm going to give this to you briefly. The first two have to do with the theocracy with which Israel was living under. Let me give you some definitions here. A theocracy is a form of government that is led by God or by a person or persons who claim to rule by divine authority. The word theocracy is a compound word using theos, Greek for God, and uh, and krasi, rule, strength, or government. The nation of Israel, now look at this, the nation of Israel was to have been a theocracy. All right? Understanding that, there were specific laws. There were two specific types of laws that, that they were functioning under. One was ceremonial, and the other was judicial. The ceremonial and judicial laws that were given in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel were so that they could function as a theocracy, so that they could be distinct from all the other nations of the world. And, and so when you, when you see this, this use of language that, that, that speaks of clothing and certain kinds of foods, uh, certain ceremonial ways of, of living, that was all because the nation of Israel was under the, a theocracy. And so because we're no longer under that theocracy, there are ceremony and judicial laws that no longer apply to us. But there is a third use of the law. The moral law. And this law applies to all people for all time. These laws exist clearly in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and hear me on this, in the conscience of every human being on this planet. This moral law is consistent in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the consciences of all humanity. In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, look what it says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that their work of the law is written on their heart, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. There are things that we know because we are made in the image of God that are right and wrong. That is the use of the moral law. That law is clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament and in the conscience of every person who has ever lived on this planet. The text says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And everyone sins. There is a difference, though, between struggling with and against sin and simply resting in and choosing sin. There is a big difference. God calls us to fight against sin. He tells, he tells us to hate sin, to, to see that sin is a lie, and to avoid it. This lawlessness is, is, an, is an attitude of the heart. Sin leads to lawlessness. It is lawlessness. When you get to the point where you no longer care that you're sinning, you're in a very dangerous place. I don't have time this morning, but I would encourage you to go back and read Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and following. And look what happens to a life and to a nation and to a culture when God turns them over to their sin. Look at the steps that are taken. Look what happens 
When God turns you over to your sin, that is, allows you to continue in your sin without any guilty conscience or conviction, that is the greatest, it is the most horrible judgment that God can bring against you. Everyone who practices, who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. This, this attitude, this attitude that says, I'm going to do what I want. It doesn't matter what God wants. That is not the will of God. God's will is that you love Him and then do whatever you please. If you're going to do whatever you please and then make God form into the image of what you need Him to be in order to justify your lifestyle and your decisions, that is sin. That is lawlessness. That is not the will of God. Understand, we have confident hope in God's will when we know what sin is. And then two, write it down. When we know what the gospel does. Verse 5, 1 John chapter 3. You know that He appeared in order to take away sin, and in Him there is no sin. This is the heart of the Gospel. It is the central theme of the Bible. The coming of Jesus into this world to rescue His people from sin is what the Bible is all about. We know that the Bible is not a bunch of stories and sayings. It is a single story in four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. We know that God made all things to be in harmony. We know that because of our sin, the world has has fallen. Now there is darkness, there is pain, there is death, there is suffering. But thanks be to God, He chose before the foundation of the world that He would send His one and only Son, that He would come and He would rescue those who believe from their sin. And one day He's coming again. But the focus of Scripture, the focus of the Old Testament and most of the New Testament is pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ and communicating clearly that God has chosen to save a people for Himself. This is the rescue. This is the Gospel. In this rescue... Understand what Jesus does. When we're talking about rescue, we're talking about Jesus doing two things. We read about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What's happening here? What happens in the Gospel? He who knew no sin, God Himself in the flesh, takes responsibility for our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, He was taking responsibility for the sins of all who believed. In that moment when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he who knew no sin became sin. Why? Not only so that our sin could be forgiven, but so that we could be made righteous. So that we would be made holy. We get not only a forgiveness of our sin, but we are given the righteousness of Christ. And that is the gospel. The gospel is that God takes our place, removing our sin debt, and then gives us the righteousness of Jesus. Yesterday, last night, right here in this room, we celebrated the life of Clay Nelson, and a young man gave testimony of the love that Clay had shown to him. He'd gotten out of jail, and Clay had him over and was encouraging him. And he said to his friend, if I could, I'd take your place. If I could, I would, I would go in your stead, and I would, I, would, I would take your place so that you could be free. And that so touched his friend. And I thought to myself, do you understand that he is offering and what he wants to do is the very thing that Jesus Christ did for him? He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus was our vicarious, substitutionary atonement. Big theological words that mean this. Jesus took our place. That is the gospel. He took our place. Why? 
don't miss this, to overcome and to defeat the punishment and the power of sin. What is the punishment? The judgment, wrath of God. Jesus received that judgment, that justice on the cross. The wrath of God is satisfied in the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and we are made righteous. We are given His righteous standing before God. This is the Gospel. We are now free to obey God. Why? Because we love Him. Love God and do what you please. Write it down. We have confident hope in God's will. When we know what sin is and know what the Gospel does and know what we are living for. No, we know what we are living for. In verse 6, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. God's will is that we know Him and that we live in a right relationship with God. God makes both of these possible through the Gospel. God's will is that we love Him. How do we love Him? By God giving us a new heart and enabling us to be born again. It happens through repentance and belief. It happens when we say to God, I confess my sin, and I believe that You are the risen Christ. Forgive me. Take over my life. I want to live for You because I love You. Love of God is revealed in obedience to Him. What does it say in 1 John 5, 8? Very clear. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. If you love God, you obey Him. And you obey Him because you want to. And the reason why you want to is because He has paid the penalty and set you free from the power of sin so that we can now love Him and live in Him. And that is the will of God. Years ago, a couple came to see me. And it was one of those deals that is always very challenging for, for me as a pastor because there are many times when, when, when couples come and they're not really asking for help, they're asking for permission to get a divorce. And I did not give them that permission. And as what authority I had, I was able to speak to what they were choosing and how it was contrary to the will of God. And I said, let's get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem was he was traveling. The root of the problem, he was gone and she was at home with the children and she looked at him and she said, I feel like you don't even want to be married to me. That our vows are a burden to you. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at her and he said, I love you. I want to be faithful to you. And from there, we figured out the schedule. From there, we figured out the way that they needed to, 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 to experience their marriage together. But you know where it all started? With a confession of love. With a man saying to his wife, you are not a burden. You are my delight. And I don't keep my vows because it's, a, it's this thing that i got to do. He says, I love you. I want to keep my vows. I want to honor you. And so it is with the child of God. 
A child of God says, God, I want to please you. I want to obey you because I love you. So the real question concerning the will of God is this. Do I love God? If we love God, we obey God. When we obey God, we enjoy God's blessing. God's will is to bless His people, but the blessing is dependent upon our obedience, which is dependent upon our love of God. Let me say that again. Don't miss this. God's will is to bless His people, but the blessing is dependent upon our obedience, which is dependent upon our love of God. So here's the question I have to ask myself, and here's the question I challenge you to ask yourself today. Is my life blessable? Think for a moment. Is my life blessable? Does God bless sin? No, He does not. So is my life blessable? Have I repented and believed the gospel? Have I said to God, God, forgive me of my sin. I am a sinner. I believe that Christ has paid the penalty. I receive His righteousness and His love. And now I will live to love you. I will love you, God, and I will do as I please. And what I will be pleased to do is to obey you. Are we? Am I? Ask yourself, am I living a life that that proves that I love God? And, and are we trusting in the power of God to live that life? Is it our delight to focus in on the love of God? Is it our delight to say, God, I see what you've done for me on the cross. I see how powerful you are. I know I'm going through a change right now. I know I'm going through a difficult circumstance. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. There's all kinds of things that would drive me to fear, that would drive me to seek comfort in sin. But God, no, I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to obey. And there's blessing in the obedience that comes from the love of God. The only way you can love God is by grace through faith in Christ alone. You must be saved. And the only way you can be blessed is to live a life of love. And you will only live a life of love in as much as you trust God in every trial, every opportunity, in every circumstance. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come and get on your knees before God and say, God, I trust you with my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you with my life. I love you. I'm going to love you. I trust you with what's going on in my life that I don't understand why or how or how it's going to be, but I know that you love me and because you love me, I will rest secure in who you are and what you're doing and I will obey you no matter what it costs. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in this sacred moment as we we sing of, of standing in you in Christ alone, I pray for freedom. I pray for liberty. I pray for power to be released to some come today and say, God, I do love you. I love you. Forgive me of my sin. I love you. 
Help me to trust in You. I, I love You. Give me strength in this circumstance. I love You. Do a miracle in this relationship, in this need. Lord God, hear the people who trust You as they come to You now. In Jesus' name, Amen.